So I forgot so much about this book. I Already? We just read the no, other no, 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 one. No, no, no. Hey, oh. hey, hey. I said beforehand. Beforehand, I forgot so oh, right. much about this book. Remember, I read this book at one point. Right. At some point in your lifetime. I thought you meant I thought you meant you forgot everything about the Hunger Games. I finished it yesterday. <laughs> that would have been bad. Hey everyone, welcome to Adapted for Your Viewing. My name is David and I watch too many movies. And my name is Amanda and I read too many books. We are brother and sister and this is our podcast for nerds where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on and tell you which one is worth consuming. Today we are continuing our mini-series covering the entire Hunger Games in anticipation of the new prequel, The Ballad of Song birds and snakes gosh i struggle dun, dun, every dun, time dun. i say it uh sounds like a fake book <laughs> sounds like a fake book real. not real uh <laughs> this week we will be covering the second installment of the series with uh catching fire or is it hunger games colon catching fire i didn't i didn't check i'll be I honest i think it might be hunger games colon catching fire how will you know if check. if not else uh but this is including the 2009 book by Suzanne Collins and the 2013 movie directed this time by Francis Lawrence. I want you guys to forget everything you think you know about the games. Last year was child's play. This year, you're dealing with all experienced killers. Any last advice? Stay alive. If you are unfamiliar, don't worry. We'll be doing a spoiler-free chat for the first half of our episode. And if you are familiar or don't super care about spoilers on this particular book-to-movie combo, stick around. And there's a good chance that most of you are super familiar because this, as we discovered last time, is a very popular book. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk? Uh, so real quick, we are going to give you a brief summary on the story. Uh, so the story starts six months after winning the Hunger Games. We find Katniss, who is living in District 12, with enough food and money and in a new house right across the street from PETA, uh, her fellow tribute that she pretend to fall in love with in front of the whole nation so she can keep both of them alive. And now she prepares for her victory tour, where she'll travel to all the different districts uh, and party in the capital at the end of it and celebrate her winning the Hunger Games. Uh, she gets nice and threatened by the president early on uh, to make sure that the entire nation believes that she's actually in love because he's super invested in that for some reason. And then they move on to the 75th Hunger Games, which is a special one because it is called the Quarter Quell, which is a ridiculous name. What a name. They, they say it like a million times. <laughs> she, Suzanne Collins, <laughs> stop naming things, please. <laughs> stop trying to be clever. It's... I don't like it. It's so it's the quarter quell. There we go. Um, and it comes with its own very special rules that they pretend were written long ago, but they seem to just make it up on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of starting her life as a Hunger Games mentor, she is drafted back into an all star style Hunger Games tournament where she has to figure out who is an ally, who is an enemy, and how, and if she can outsmart the game makers for a second time. Bum, bum, bum. Ba-ba. Yeah, so that's Catching Fire. David, did you read this book after you finished The Hunger Games initially? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I remember reading this book with so much anticipation. I remember that this was one of the very few books I've ever pre-ordered. Like, it might have been the first really? when I think about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't buy my own books until around this time. So, it might have been, like, one of the few books I've pre-ordered. Because I do remember going to Barnes & Noble and picking it up, I think. So, mm -hmm. I remember finishing it within, like, a weekend. I don't remember seeing this movie. I know I've seen this movie. <laughs> but all of my memories of this movie also appear in the trailer. So I don't know. <laughs> so possibly no. <laughs> I could have maybe never seen it. I... But I like feel like I've yeah. seen it. But I just forgot the entire experience. I understand that. That happens to me sometimes. Um, I probably did the exact same thing where I read this book immediately when it came out. You know, I had a ton of questions, a ton of things I wanted to see. I wanted to experience the rest of Panem and all the different districts. Uh, so I was really excited for the second book. 
Um, I definitely saw this movie in theaters. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think this was the last one I saw in theaters. I don't think I saw the last two movies. It's weird. I know I've seen Mockingjay Part One, but I don't know if I've seen I couldn't this. tell you a single thing from that movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, but do you have any like interesting uh, book facts for Catching so Fire? I don't, I don't have a ton because okay. she wrote them really sequentially back to back, and she doesn't do a lot of interviews almost at all. So every time she's talking to, she did a couple of press tours uh, when the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the first Hunger Games came out in 2012. So we have some 2012 and like 2013 interviews from her, but that's kind of it. Um, so the only things I could really find out about it is, um, you know, she got offered a trilogy right after she pitched this book. Mm-hmm. So she came out with the second book a year after the first book came out. So she was on a nice rigorous writing that's schedule. That's a quick turnaround. It's a very quick turnaround. It was an instant bestseller, and it and the other two books in the trilogy remained on the bestseller list for three years, which is pretty Ooh. impressive. Yeah. Wow. Uh, this book introduces two of Suzanne Collins' absolute favorite characters, which I will probably agree with, which is Finnick and uh, Joanna. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Uh, and like I said, she doesn't do a lot of interviews, but she did talk about how her father's military career inspired a lot of the action in this book in particular, uh, because she was very interested in what causes the rise of a rebellion. So kind of what sows the seed of the rebellion before it actually happens. One might say it, one might say it's catching fire. Yeah. One might say it is just about catching fire. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What about for the movie, Dave? Do you find anything cool about the movie? Uh, not a ton of movie stuff because it is also interesting that the sequel to the movie also came out a year later, which mm-hmm. for like I get like a book turnaround. That's crazy quick. And for movie turnaround, that's insane because there's so much that has to go into making a movie that I can't imagine having such a quick turnaround in this. I have no mm-hmm. idea how they did that. So because of the quick turnaround, Gary Ross, the initial director of The Hunger Games, left, and a new one, Francis Lawrence, came in to replace him. Now, Francis Lawrence... Gary Ross left in the middle of the production? He left before production began because he didn't agree with the schedule. He wanted more time. Got it. Mm-hmm. Francis Lawrence came in instead and they got a different screenwriter. Now, I will say, Francis Lawrence, incredibly interesting dude because I had never heard of him before this. Uh, yeah, I don't know anything about him. Yeah, that's because he's mainly done music videos and he's done amazing music videos. Okay. He has done uh, music videos for Lady Gaga. He did The Bad mm. Romance. Okay. He did Gwen Stefani's What Are You Waiting For? Okay. Okay. He has done. I'm just gonna give you artists he's worked with because it's insane. He's worked with Janet Jackson, Jennifer Lopez, Justin Timberlake, OK Go, Avril Lavigne, Pink, Will Smith, Britney Spears, Green Day, Aerosmith, Third Eye Blonde, which is a pretty big downgrade from those other people, but still impressive. <laughs> still there. <laughs> um, Bob Marley, Ricky Martin. Like, mm-hmm. this dude, like, I was shocked. This dude mainly does music videos, which I think is such a jump to go from music videos yeah. to this. The only other movie I saw uh, that I, like, recognize was I Am Legend. He did I Am Legend yeah. in this. He also did, I'm looking at his IMDb page right now because you linked it. He also did Red Sparrow, that weird um, spy oh, movie with Jennifer yeah, Warren. Yeah. And he did uh, Water for Elephants, which I don't know if you, that's another book uh, adaptation. Um, and he did Constantine, the uh, the beloved uh, Keanu Reeves uh, action thriller. Yeah, I would say his movie career, not as successful as his music video career. Very stylistic choices still, so. That's very true. Very different. And gosh, I hope we never have to do water for elephants. I, <laughs> oh gosh, I hope, I know by saying it, I've ruined yeah, myself. Just created, yeah, you just created the hashtag make David read water for elephants. I, I, I do we already, not talk We already about have hashtag make David read Twilight 2020. Also so. never want to revisit that. That book's like 500 pages. It's quite, it's quite long <sighs> and not much happens in it. 
Um, but then maybe uh, I feel like that should be something we do to celebrate like our one year anniversary or something like that. Mm, we'll fun. discuss this later. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. Hashtag make David read Twilight. <sighs> okay. Uh, another very interesting movie fact, because again, this was made so quickly that I didn't find a lot of interesting production stuff. Mm-hmm. But I did find out that Ed Sheeran submitted three songs for this film soundtrack. All of them were turned down. That kind of cracks me up. Okay. <laughs> it says in the article that I linked to as well that he also pitched songs for Twilight that were also turned down. Uh, is this just when Ed Sheeran wasn't very big yet? He started getting big around this time. I mean, this yeah. is like... 2012 2013 ed sheeran so he's 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 coming up he's He's coming up but it's i think it's hilarious that he was dropped from both of these teen films and then the song they chose instead for catching fire is coldplay's song atlas which sounds like the most yeah it's like they played it during the credits let me tell you basically was written by ed sheeran you could have replaced chris martin (laughs) with ed there and i would have never known here's the funny part when the uh because i know i feel like the soundtrack i feel like i thought somebody big did one of the songs for one of these movies but i can't remember who and i can't remember which movie it was on so when the the credits started rolling i was like oh is this the is this ed sheeran (laughs) and then i listened to him like no that's not him i wonder who this is and so i think it's very funny that you brought this up because i did not care to look it up oh okay let's let's go into the story a little bit then yeah. So, David, what did you think about the story? We we just left the world of Pan Am, got to dive straight back into it immediately. How did you like this story, especially compared to the first? I forgot everything from my first reading like eight or so years ago about this book. So I was I felt yeah. like I was coming in kind of new. I knew like some oh, of the you? big beats, but I didn't remember yeah. a lot of it. And honestly, revisiting it, it played so much better for me. And I think a lot of this has to do with uh, like the new characters that are introduced uh, bring so much more levity and a much mm-hmm. more interesting perspective because we have been stuck with Katniss for two books. Uh, right. And Katniss is great. I do love hearing mm-hmm. her inner thoughts, but yeah. I want to know, like my biggest thing about the previous book was I want to know more about this world. That's all I cared yeah. about. And this book gives it to you. It gives you what happened in previous Hunger Games. It gives you a little bit more about the society itself. Gives you an idea of what the other districts are doing, which is really all I wanted. So for me, it was like such a logical step. There are some problems I have with some pacing issues, especially Mm -hmm. in the book. Mm -hmm. But overall, I think I came up kind of more positive than I remember. I loved the first book so much, and I think I had very specific expectations coming into the second book. And I, so the first time I read it, I did not really like it. I think it's hard with like a character who's gone through something like so huge and traumatic in like the first book to then go into like an exciting storyline in this in a follow-up book. I think yeah. the same thing happened like in the fifth Harry Potter book where you're oh. dealing with like a lot of his grief. I have the so character- many problems with that book. So I actually understand exactly <laughs> yeah. what you're saying. Cause it's like the character's a little bit of a bummer just because they, they aren't as proactive as you want them to be when they're mm-hmm. the main character of the story. And so I found myself a little bit frustrated with Katniss just because she's so inactive for so much of the yeah. story. Um, I do think, you know, some of the parts, like you said, were very exciting to visit. It was cool going to each of the different districts and seeing more of the capital and understanding more how things work. Um, That said, I really still do not love the All-Stars Hunger Games game and the romance plotline. Yeah. I'm I'm like torn between. I think it's I think it's still a very exciting follow up. Uh, Story-wise, I think I enjoyed the movie quite a bit more than I remember. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I wanted – there are some things I wanted more. I wanted, like, more nuance, more excitement, more, like, Katniss trying to solve things, (laughs) (laughs) where she seems like a very um, apathetic character throughout the whole time. Um, But it's – I mean – 
it's hard not to love returning to this world. It's such an interesting world. still. Yeah. And let, let's dive into the book a little bit more about that, because I think I have some similar problems. I mean, you said the words, I don't like this romance, which is music to my ears, because <laughs> I, I cannot stand, especially how the book kind of portrays this romance is yeah. kind of frustrating. Because uh, really? it really but just feels like if everyone just talked and hashed it out in like a quick 20 minute conversation none of these problems would exist yeah i mean they are teenagers but then also they're talking about like getting married Mm -hmm. so it's hard to like tell if you're supposed to treat them like teenagers who don't really know it's because they're 16 in the book and they Mm -hmm. get married which feels problematic Yeah, it's very interesting because they are in very adult situations. They are more often than not interacting with other adults, especially in this book. Yeah. Uh, But they are 16. And I feel like especially the book seems to pick and choose when they want the fact that they're 16 to become a relevant issue. Yes, definitely. Because sometimes it's just like you forget. You're like, oh, I thought this person was like 24. No, they're a teenager. (laughs) Yes. Well, then it's really hard to tell like how old the other people they're interacting with are too. Um, Like it it was very difficult for me to understand how old like Finnick was. I feel like there should have been more tributes but i also find it very unrealistic that every district would also have a tribute well i mean this brings into maybe a larger issue i've had with the book especially uh you know we're we're probably going to talk a little bit more about the changes that they made in the Mm -hmm. movie that i think fixed this but the book has some serious pacing issues the first 30 pages of this book is like a recap of what happened yes. in the previous book. And it is so frustrating <laughs> to read through. Because to me, it's like, Suzanne, I've read your book. <laughs> like, I didn't, it, I didn't mind it as much. I think my pacing issue was that, because I get like, they, they came out a year apart. And for somebody who doesn't necessarily like reread the first book, before they jump into the sequel, which happens, you want a little bit of a recap. So that didn't bother me as much. What bothered me is that, like, from the summary of the book, you know that Katniss is going back into the Hunger Games. So you know that that's happening. But I think in the book, it doesn't happen for, like, I don't know, like, the first two-thirds of this book. It And it's, like, played off to be, like, a surprise, but it comes too late in the book to still be a surprise. So, like, the, like you said, the pacing becomes very off because the first half of the book is a conflict about between, like, Katniss and, and President Snow and him wanting her to convince everybody that she's in love with PETA, which is, by the way, a ridiculous way to quash a rebellion. <laughs> um, but that that's, like, the tension for the first, I don't know, like – like most of this book and then uh you know we flip a switch halfway through and we're like no it's actually about Katniss going back into the Hunger Games again and then the actual Hunger Games are super short which was the most interesting part of the first book so it it, it's hard to like find your your footing in this story uh because you don't like the conflict feels a little all over the place. And I think it's because Katniss is not at the center of the conflict. She's not driving the conflict forward, even though she's our protagonist. And I think for the book, this makes it so much more difficult on itself because it's told through Katniss's point of view. In the movie, they get to cut away from Katniss and it's almost always my favorite parts is when we get to get away from her, which maybe says a little bit about how I felt about Katniss as a character in this story. Yeah. Uh, but it has the benefit of getting away from her. Well, you get to just kind of live with her in the book. Yeah. And it becomes frustrating again, kind of like order of the Phoenix type frustrating because you feel like the character is just constantly paralyzed to making any decision. And right. so you just sit with them for 300 pages before <laughs> the Hunger Games start. The Hunger Games yeah. are only, I looked at it, they're only about 80 pages in total for this 400-page book. And I think it's like two days that they're in the arena or something stupid short yeah. like that. Whereas and so they're supposed to last for like weeks. 
it's hard not to make it feel like it's tacked on because of yeah. that. Well, and I think like a, I think there could have been a lot of really interesting like the things I liked about the first book were the internal conflict that Katniss had. And so I wanted more of that as she had to be thrust into the the capital society. Like she couldn't just be left alone for the rest of her life. She has to be part of this machine now that she hates where she has to be in the capital. She has to meet people that she knows from her district and teach them how to survive the hunger games, knowing that most of them won't. Mm -hmm. And I think that would have been a really interesting conflict for Katniss to have to go through, especially because she reviled Hamish so much in the first book, but she gets to skip that conflict and just go straight to the Hunger Games herself. Yeah. And demand that PETA has to survive for some reason. Yeah, it's her character makes a lot of frustrating decisions sometimes. And I think none of that is more exemplified than the romance. The romance in the book is just frustrating. <laughs> it's I just I just can't stand it. I I honestly can't. And whenever they had the romance sections like to me in concept it is an interesting idea where mm. she is cut between what she is being forced to do even if that person is great versus free will in general which is yeah. kind of what gail represents so mm -hmm. as a concept that's so interesting but when the characters actually talk about it and interact with each other about it it's like they're not human beings <laughs> You mean you don't flirt with people by asking them what their favorite color is? No. And that sparks the romance that will define the rest of your life? No, okay? No. I just... Surprising. So, yeah, it's the book. <laughs> the book, I think, where it made up for me in a lot of ways is just the introduction of the new characters. Like, Finnick is yeah. great. Joanne is great. Finnick is fantastic, yeah. All of the other uh, tributes were so interesting and every time we got to spend time with them i was really mm -hmm. enjoying the story yeah anytime like katniss is the least suspicious person ever in this book oh yeah which is crazy but anytime she was like wait a second i was like yes katniss go and be suspicious about that and then she doesn't <laughs> but yeah anytime she like was investigating like another character trying to figure out more about them i was definitely hooked and i agree i think like the introduction of finnick and joanna and the other actual named <laughs> uh, winners from the other districts are all very interesting characters and a good addition. Agreed. Uh, but let's let's talk a little bit about the movie. Uh, yeah. What did you think of how the movie interpreted the story? So we are we've already mentioned our biggest ish with the book is the pacing. The pacing is way off in the book, and the movie instantly fixes it so um, much. I think like the the train, the victory tour they go on uh, to celebrate them winning the Hunger Games to each of the different districts, that's over by the first third of the book. Uh, oh, sorry, third of the movie, whereas that's like the first five eighths of the book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that's cut much shorter. And, um, you know, by the time we get to like the halfway mark, we are in the Hunger Games. And so the pacing feels much more balanced. It reflects a lot the first book. And so I think it works out a little bit better. Um, and thank goodness the fire effects are marginally better. Lionsgate, like <laughs> real lives are like, oh, shoot, this is our Harry Potter. And they upped the budget <laughs> yes. like crazy. They had for this a movie. much better. They had a much better budget for this movie. Um, Panem looks way better. Way better. Like hats Just, off. Like, laughably better. Yes. It's like the fire effect in this movie looked like fire. See, this is why I was so frustrated with the last movie. Quick rant is because this movie came out a year later and yeah. it looks like the effects have like a 20 year difference between them <laughs> it, it seriously does all the animals all like the fake animals that they use look a million times better yes uh yeah the effects are a huge upgrade thank goodness i'll also say that francis lawrence i think directing actually did a great job for one he got rid of the shaky cam oh thank goodness yes which is no fantastic <laughs> i knew yeah, the was action going was on. very good yeah and there's specifically a scene in the movie uh, with smoke that was mm -hmm. done masterfully because I was, you know, I was 
interested in the book, but in the movie, it's an incredibly terrifying scene that is so much more emotionally effective than it was in the book for me. And it is strictly because how the scene was shot and directed. And so I think Francis Lawrence did a great job with the movie. And I'm I'm glad the switch was made for him for this movie. I do think, yeah, I agree that the, all the action was a lot better. You could definitely tell because there's a lot going on in the action towards the end of this movie. And um, there's a bunch of stuff I noticed that they changed in the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, it was very easy to follow and very easy to keep track of, which is impressive. I always appreciate that. I also think that in terms of the overall plot, they mm-hmm. added and made some changes that we'll talk about later that made it a much more logical plot. <laughs> yeah. That made me like understand why characters were making the decisions they were making. Yeah. Uh where in the book it's just like why did that per like why that person do that? Is this person suddenly the stupidest human being in the world? Yeah. So I really appreciated some of the scenes and changes they made and we'll 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 go into detail about that later. Yeah. Uh I w- yeah. On the back of that, of the extra scenes they added, um, they added a bunch more with snow uh, so that we can get more of that good, good, bad guy. And they're all fantastic. And with snow, we also get more Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I just forgot yep. how much I missed him. He's so good. <laughs> he's pretty good. Yeah, Ugh. he's real good in this. Uh, his character is not my favorite character, but uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman playing him uh, really elevated him. Really elevated character. him. Now, now that we're talking about performances, which I'll say, I think uh-huh. most, I would say most people in this movie do a fantastic job. Absolutely. Unfortunately, the person who's supposed to be carrying this series has the worst performance. You think Jennifer Lawrence has the worst performance? Jennifer Lawrence's performance is sometimes the most frustrating thing to watch. Now, <laughs> I do think she did better than the first than the first one. I was more frustrated with her in the first book or in the I'm, first movie. I disagree. And I'm I'm going to say something. I'm te- it's technically kind of a spoiler, but it happens within the first five minutes. So I okay. don't think so. There is a conversation within the first five minutes between Snow and Katniss. Yeah. And Donald Sutherland is acting his like butt off. He, he is doing yeah, so he's much. He's doing so. Yeah. And every time it cut to Jennifer Lawrence, she was just like, okay, yes. I don't know oh, why. Right? She has like no subtlety, like no no nuance to her performances, and I feel like she's a great actress. And I don't know why. I don't know if like she maybe she didn't really like Katniss very much. Maybe she just felt too different from her or something like that. Or it's it just needed a lot more nuance than she was used to giving. I I just feel like we we got like the same blank face for her for most of the time. It was. It was sometimes really tough for me to watch people acting really well around her and then seeing like Katniss be just completely bland and completely boring. And I was like, I know you're good, Jennifer Lawrence. What are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised how little charisma she has in this, considering how charismatic she actually is. It's it's strange. (laughs) It is strange. So, David, would you recommend people read this book? This is really tough for me because I think I came more positive on the movie or on the book uh, in Mm -hmm. our previous episode. But I feel like the movie made such good changes that genuinely improved the story that Mm -hmm. made me think Catching Fire was better than it actually was. And... I think because of that, I actually recommend just kind of watching the movie. It almost goes through most of the stuff unless you want like little details about the world. And I mean, tiny details, you know, go ahead, read the book. But for me, like, I think the movie is like a much better version of this story. I I'm, I kind of agree. I think I enjoyed watching the movie a little bit better than reading the book. I think it's hard when you finish a book as good as Hunger Games to then not want to jump immediately into the sequel if you're doing it for the first time. Um, I will say it's, it's kind of a disappointing sequel uh, because you want – you know, you want your character to grow, you want your world to expand, and you want the stakes to be higher. And even though she, 
you know, Suzanne Collins does a lot to try and make the stakes feel higher. Those other two things aren't there as much as you want them to be in a sequel. And so I think it leaves you kind of feeling cheated at the end of the sequel, which is not not how you want to feel, especially in a cool dystopian world like this. So I would say, yeah, the the movie is just like a little bit more satisfying. I think it fills in a lot of the gaps that the the book leaves open. It's still a pretty interesting story. Uh, So I would say if you can't help yourself um, and the movie is just not going to cut it, you can't go in for the the book, but, you know, keep your expectations Got at, it. A, at, at a good part. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. So our recommendation yeah. is weirdly movie first. And then, yeah. you know, if you really love it, check out the book. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's enough of our non-spoilers. There's a lot of things I want to talk about. So let's head into the yeah, spoiler a lot discussion. Of they fought very hard in the games, Miss Everdeen. But they were games. Would you like to be in a real war? Imagine thousands of your people dead. Your loved ones gone. What do I need to do? All right, David, so time for our spoilers discussion. What to you was the most jarring or surprising change that this movie adaptation made from its book source material? So the biggest and most like thankful change I had for this was the change or maybe more additions of the character Plutarch Heavensby. Gosh, I hope <laughs> that's a terrible name, Suzanne. Plutarch. It's like a Tark, like a K, not even though it's sold with a C. Plutarch? Yeah, Plutarch. Suzanne, come on. Come on. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough, yeah. Uh, Finnick is great. great. Joanna's great. Those are normal names. Why? <laughs> anyway, uh, Philip Seymour say Hoffman. Wait, say his name again. No, I'm not. <laughs> PSH, that's how I'm going to now refer to it. PSH as. is a pretty good name. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, uh, but PSH, uh, the, the addition of his character being the driving force of Snow's actions, specifically Snow's stupid actions, made the movie make so much more sense because we're supposed to believe that Snow is a a powerful leader that knows what he's doing and knows how to control people. But in the book, he's just making all these decisions that are very mm. clearly stupid. Like, yeah. like he's making these decisions that will obviously um, start a revolution. Whereas yeah. in the movie, it makes sense that he's making these terrible decisions because someone else is influencing his decision making. And so the addition of him being like, hey, you know, you should persecute people more in the districts or you should do this Hunger Games that kills off beloved people that love that are loved in the capital. You know, by doing this, it will, uh, you know, it's supposed to exert more control, but it does the opposite, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so the addition of his character to be behind some of this decision making just makes sense. (laughs) Like, I don't know how else to say it other than the decisions that Snow makes now make sense. And you believe he's still evil. He's still very powerful. Now you just don't think he's as stupid as he is in the books. Yeah, there's a lot that happens in the books where you're like, how... How have they ever subdued any rebellion ever? Yeah. Because <laughs> they're really like, bad at it. <laughs> like the idea that you're going to put past victors that the capital loves and that those victors won't be mad about it. They're going to just go along with it is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like what a yeah. terrible idea. It's yeah. And like, it, it's fun to see like in the movie that snow seems more motivated to get people to hate Katniss Uh than to actually outsmart her in any way. Um, So that did feel a little bit more interesting. I will say like the scenes of them together of snow and, and Plutarch together, just talking to each other about like their strategies. It, you can feel like that energy in that room that it is like two class act actors Going Mm -hmm. just like playing off of each other, and it feels like 
like epic, like Game of Thrones epic. So I will say like those were, I agree that those were some of my favorite parts. I also really love the introduction of Snow's, um, I keep on wanting to call him Snoke, <laughs> of <laughs> Snow's uh, granddaughter that he's yeah. talking to. And to see like the influence that Katniss has on just the, you know, the capital kids too and like the next generation. And uh, to have that represent his own anxieties about losing control. Um, I thought that was very, very good. Well, in the books, you know, you're constantly told that Katniss is a symbol. And the only time you're ever, like, shown that, really, is in this scene that they they got rid of in the the movie, which makes sense. But Mm -hmm. it's one where she meets up with these rebels from District 8 who escaped. Yeah, who are on the run. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she helps them out, and then she gets to hear what's happening in the other districts. Yeah. Uh, I think, again, it's sort of because the book has this limitation of only being Katniss's point of view that you you have to have a scene like that. Cause otherwise how else is she going to know? Yeah. Besides will... secret cracks and doors. Yeah. <laughs> Which happens a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, the change that I enjoyed a little bit more was actually the changes that they made to the romance. It felt more cut and dry than it does in the book. For the most part, I feel like mm-hmm. because they have to follow the book material that they kind of double back on it towards the end of the, the movie to make it more love triangly. But it does definitely feel like, um, you know, that Katniss is like she is committed to Gail in a, mm-hmm. to a certain extent as, as much as she can be. That if she had her free choice, she would choose to be with Gail. Uh, but that because of what's going on and the act she has to play, she has to also be close to PETA and that that closeness kind of like sur- like surviving something traumatic together bonds them together. Yeah. And so that feels it feels a little bit more cut and dry, whereas in the book, she's like, mm, this feeling about PETA, mm, this feeling about Gail, mm, I don't know what to do. Mm, I'm just a girl. And it's a little bit more back and forth and kind of like she wants to have them both without having to say it (laughs) and so it's a little bit it's a little bit less it feels a little bit more dramatic in the movies and a little bit more cut and dry which i appreciated yeah i did appreciate the simplicity of the romance in the movie i'm not gonna say Mm -hmm. i liked it but i enjoyed that it's much more simplified because it's so frustrating to be reading this book and for her to be like man i just love gail you know i really enjoyed the kiss from him blah 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 blah. pita come sleep in the bed with me because i can't sleep unless your arms are around me it sucks guys like i yeah it's a little fan fictiony it's just like it's it's frustrating to see a character who in a lot of ways is strong and decisive have this Mm -hmm. like cliche where she's like, I just don't understand my emotions. And it's frustrating to see that because, uh, I, she's constantly going through that in the, this book is like indecisiveness. That's like one of a big growth for her character, but it's, it's sometimes it's like being indecisive about things that seem either too obvious or if maybe she just would talk to people for like 10 or 20 minutes it could hash out i think like most of these problems in uh character wise could be solved through like a 20 minute conversation like a good heart to heart between everybody yeah i mean that's kind of a staple in especially like ya relational stories so i don't mind it as much because when you're a teenager you don't know how to talk to people So it didn't bother me as much. Um, I just wanted her to focus on other things rather than just her feelings for like one dude over another. You know what I mean? It seemed like much more important things were happening in the world that should probably catch her attention. (laughs) A little bit. And I mean, I think it's good that she has an ally in PETA and an ally in Gail. And I feel like different story beats could have been told through each of those perspectives because those are two very different characters. But instead there's like anytime we're with them, it's just romantic tension. And I just wanted just like a little bit more. So then David, would you, for your chance to change the story, would you change the romance? Is that what you're going to say? 
Yeah, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> I am, again, I'm not against the concept of this romance. However, mm-hmm. I hate these guys. They, they, <laughs> they're just so annoying. Okay, PETA especially, I, I think this is the, especially book PETA, this is the moment where I think I realized why I don't like PETA. Because they, like, try to show him as, like, this nice, sensitive guy, which, again, I'm cool with. But this yeah. is, like, he's just, like... he's just this guy that just like loves sunsets and is super (laughs) thoughtful and like his favorite color is orange because that's sunsets it's just like (laughs) he does have like he's pretty one note unfortunately (laughs) it's it's like they don't have much more depth than that and like gail is like this like really stubborn guy who doesn't accept help but is super strong and helps others it's just like they're a little cliched, yeah. They're they're very cliche. They like feel like they're not very developed. I feel like Peter yeah. probably gets the most again out of the two because we spend the most time with him. And so in yeah. some ways I do like Peter, but him just being oh that pure hearted guy just feels frustrating sometimes. Yeah. I mean I like I like the story beat in the book a little bit better that Katniss wants to save Peter. when they return to the Hunger Games, specifically because she believes that he can be the face of the resistance. Makes sense. He's good with talking with people. He is much more personable and likable. And, you know, he convinces people a little bit more than she died. Those are all of her weaknesses. I totally get that she wants somebody who has those strengths to be around to, like, spur on the rebellion. Here's Mm -hmm. the problem with that. We never see Peter really like that. (laughs) He's kind of, especially book PETA, she has to save his butt so often. (laughs) Like throughout the Hunger Games, she is literally carrying him on her back from like one obstacle to the next. And in the movie, they fix that a little bit. He, you know, he kills people in this movie. Uh, which I was kind of surprised by. I'd totally forgotten that that mm-hmm. happens. But he kills multiple people, and he defends Katniss multiple times, uh, which I think they just put in so that Josh Hutcherson didn't have to feel like such a loaf the entire movie again. <laughs> uh, but we do not like – yes, people like PETA, but he does not like – like he's he doesn't have the same charisma of like a rebellion leader. You know what I mean? Like he he has like middle management energy. <laughs> He, does. he doesn't he quite have strong. like revolution energy. I would love Peter to be my manager. I would <laughs> Peter would make a great manager. He would be great. Yeah, he would totally invest in your like um your professional growth over time. Yeah. But I would not expect him to overthrow the government anytime soon. Peter's the guy who will ask you how your weekend was, but yes. like have a conversation about it. Yes. And Gail actually frustrated me more in in this story than he did in the first one the first one he's he's fairly likable but you don't get much screen time with him in this one he's like "Mm, you kissed that boy during the hunger games (laughs) (laughs) and you you only kissed me once Mm, i don't like that Mm." (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 funny to me because it's something where like the gale in the first book is sort of characterized by his, like, lack of emotion and lack of comfortability talking about his emotions. And in this one, it's like he professes his love to her and tells Mm -hmm. all about his emotions now. Mm -hmm. And so it feels such a flip. Like, I think it would have been much more interesting if, like, Gail still didn't talk about how he felt. Like, that would have been so much... Like, and her just always feeling, like... Like like she's losing him or something. That yeah, that's so much more more interesting to me. I know. But Amanda, how would you change the story? What's your one thing? Because a romance is obviously mine. But what's yours? (laughs) My change. I think my change is unfortunately a big one. Um, and I would just I would want Katniss to be the driving force behind this story. Um, I do not mind there being like a secret revolutionary plot. Uh, but the fact that everything is orchestrated around Katniss and drives her towards that ending kind of sucks for me because I want my protagonist to be at the center of it. And so I would just – I would have rather had Katniss have just like a little bit more agency, a little bit more like plots of her own. Um, I get that she has like 
she's dealing with her own PTSD and survival, but that doesn't mean that she has to be a passive character. And I feel like she's a very passive character in this story. Um, and I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more if she would have been a little bit more active, if she would have been like playing the Capitals games a little bit more, finding out who she can trust and who she can't trust. Uh, she seems very much like a blunt object, <laughs> yeah. which is what she was in the first one. And that's fine, but she learned how to be clever and savvy in the first book. And I feel like we don't get that character growth. I feel like she's very much the same character at the beginning of this story. Um, still stubbornly believing that she should be able to live her life in peace when she knows that that's not true. Yeah, I've kind of gone back and forth on this because in some way I agree. Because especially with the plot to escape the Hunger Games, I feel like it's something that they would want to tell them like their mm -hmm. reasoning for not telling them, I think is stupid because who, why couldn't they keep a secret? Like it's to me, it's like frustrating that no one is just telling each other what the plan is, yes. uh, which doesn't like, there's a billion ways this could have gone wrong. What if like mm -hmm. Katniss like accidentally killed Finnick like right away? Yes, definitely. <laughs> so it's, so I don't understand why they don't just communicate. But in like another way, I think the movie does a better job at showing this. Uh, yes, definitely. Katniss just makes terrible decisions, <laughs> like awful decisions constantly. Um, and I, I think the movie does a better job at like justifying it. But I still feel mm -hmm. like it, it does feel empty that yeah. she is not the person driving the well, plot. The plot's just happening around her. Well, she's almost like too much of a reluctant hero. And I like I like stories about reluctant heroes. I like Han Solo yeah. types. Love I don't it. mind that being a main character. But any Han Solo type still has to be paired up with a Luke Skywalker. Otherwise, it kind of sucks. <laughs> it's kind of one note. And unfortunately, Katniss plays is a little bit one note. Um, because she doesn't have that like altruistic driving force keeping her on track to like i don't know do more and i feel like prim could have played that role a little bit i feel like her um pita could have played that role a little bit better it just wasn't quite where i wanted it to be uh so here my i came up with like two scenarios that i feel like would have been just like a little bit more all right let me hear it let me hear it so instead of having i still don't love like the all-stars but let's say that she did have to go into the all-stars uh you know quarter quell mm -hmm. um uh, you know, arena. Uh, I feel like if she would have known that, like, they just had to last on, like, until X day, let's say they had to, like, last in the arena for eight days. And if she could just convince, like, if the story was about her convincing every other victor not to kill each other, I feel like that would have been really interesting. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, that would have been super interesting. To, yeah. And then it also forces you to spend more time with these other characters, which mm -hmm. are the best parts about this book. Mm -hmm. So if she would have been the driving, like if she would have known about the plot to begin with, and it was her job to keep as many of those people alive while they were trying to kill each other, that would have been super interesting. Yeah. And that way we wouldn't have had like the generic career bad guys again from district one and two that just get killed off. And are like mm -hmm. the boogeymen throughout it, it would have been a little bit more complicated than that. So I feel like that could have been really interesting. And then if they didn't have the like all-stars arena um, and Katniss did have to be a mentor, it could have been really interesting her forming this relationship with whoever she was sending in and then her figuring out how to rescue them from uh, the game arena too. I feel like that could have been really cool because then we could have seen more behind the scenes of the Hunger Games too. Yeah, that'd be really cool. But then Suzanne wouldn't have any prequel content, so they can't do that. Can't <laughs> right, do that. right, right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I think just like anything that has more uh, like Katniss involvement on the overall plot would be interesting because it it is weird to just like if Katniss was removed from all of this, most of it would happen the exact same way. Like the rebellions yep. would yep. still happen. And so it's frustrating to just see her kind of be aloof for the first two I thirds also of the movie. I feel like it'd be very easy 
to just like if every if Pete is as likable as everyone says he is, and he Katniss loves is sunsets, unlikable, I mean, he loves does love sunset. sunsets and bread, <laughs> which are two things we all love. I hate, I hate <laughs> describing Peta, but I'm just saying, like if <sighs> he really was that, he was that player. Like he would have been if he was the perfect face of the rebellion, he would be the rebellion. You know what I mean? So it wouldn't yeah. really matter if Katniss lived or died or whatever. You know what I mean? Or they rescued her or whatever from the... But yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but let's get into some nitpicks. Our favorite section of every week? Uh, nitpicks. Nitpicks. I, I, yeah, I wrote, I wrote down some funny stuff for this one. But uh, Amanda, what's a, what's a nitpick you have? <laughs> okay. I, I did weir- a weird amount of research on this. Okay. It bugged me a lot. <laughs> And I think it's just because I'm used to Jennifer Lawrence being a blonde, even though I do think she looks great as a brunette. Her hair looks so fake in this movie. It was, Ridiculously fake. It's like plastic. It was driving me nuts. And so she did – this is her real hair. And her – the first movie was also her real hair. And after this, she started wearing wigs because dyeing it like destroyed her hair. But uh-huh. she does have this is her real hair with extensions, and so it's mostly mostly real. It is the fakest looking hair <laughs> I have ever seen on a human person. <laughs> it is constantly. It looks like it was painted onto her head sometimes, and it drove me absolutely insane. Because Jennifer Lawrence is a beautiful person, and like you said, is put into these ridiculous costumes all the time. And sometimes I wish they would have just put a wig on her head because I feel like it would have looked better. <laughs> it's really strange. It's it really very strange. distracting. Now, I will defend the movie a little bit. I've seen Jennifer Lawrence in other movies with wigs, and unfortunately, they look just as bad. <laughs> like that Red Fair. Sparrow movie we were talking about earlier, her wig, not the greatest. <laughs> so I just feel like they, as much as, no, as much as I respect Jennifer Lawrence, I'm sure she did her best on this movie. I feel like Katniss may have been miscast just a little bit. Just a yeah, I, I agree with that. This is her breakout role, but yeah. you're right. It could have been played by somebody else. Yeah. yeah. I would never want to say less Jennifer Lawrence, but... In this instance, I feel like maybe somebody it's, else. It's kind of like Miss Marvel, where it's yeah. like you love her so much, but like you just it just didn't work out. Yeah. Now, again, my uh, just a quick rant again on the fashion for this book is just in <laughs> <It's> general <crazy. laughs> wild, like fashion in every aspect. One, the men are wearing like some weird cardigan capes. They are constantly wearing kimonos, just like kimonos. I don't know why. <laughs> they don't. It looks. It looks crazy like, to me. It's like this really thin, wrinkly fabric, and it's very unflattering. It does not look good. So no. that was again one of those things. Uh, the second is you know who's the bad guy in this movie because they all <laughs> wear black leather. They all do. of them, like all black lot. leather. Yeah. Uh, like immediately the first scene in the book when Katniss talks to uh, President Snow, she's greeted at her house with men dressed in all black. And before they even say everything, it's like, oh, they're bad guys. Easily bad guys. I also love the um, the very overt stormtrooper design of the um, ridiculously overt. They're, they they look even more evil versions of stormtroopers because they have put a um a rib cage on all of their <laughs> their body armor so they look like it's like an it's like a bug exoskeleton so it's very gross and very <laughs> not subtle <laughs> no it's it's weird so there's that. And then there's just like, for some reason, when Jennifer Lawrence wasn't wearing a sweater, it just didn't look good. So like, I have just in my notes, I always keep notes while I'm watching a movie and just note something that sticks out to me. So like, first I was like, hmm, Candace's dress at the party looks weird. Then I was like, her wedding dress is ugly. And then I just noticed finally, I'm like, every dress she wears is ugly. <laughs> yeah. It's not 
great. Her wedding dress doesn't look as bad. It's a little goofy. But then she twirls into like a bird. <laughs> like Yeah. I get I get it's supposed to be a bird, but like I saw it and then the wings came out and I thought she was just gonna start flying away. <laughs> it's just I feel like the wedding dress thing did not hit as emotionally hard in the movie as it did in the book. Not because in all. the book, like so much of their plan revolves around this staged wedding they're gonna do and like the people of Penham have voted on their favorite wedding dress and then Katniss shows up to it and in like protest she burns it while she's still in it and in the movie it's much lamer (laughs) so much lamer but yeah I don't understand what's up with this future fashion it's just all ugly and it's not even like cool looking in like a dystopian future type way it's just like objectively not good yeah it's not great yeah i'm sorry cena you're not a good designer (laughs) i'm sorry uh lenny lenny kravitz i don't i don't buy your deal um his acting was fine he knows how to take a punch he took a punch good he did his job he He took a punch real well he got a bloody nose waved at the camera and uh, however, our very favorite Caesar Flickerman, the one and only Stanley Tucci, is purple in this one and just as fantastic as always. And I already I him. love him. I just want him in everything. <laughs> Every so... time he came on the screen, I got a genuine warm feeling in my heart. And I feel like he really killed it. He really sells the dystopia in yeah. like in a way that like I'm I'm eating what he's making. Like I'm, I'm buying it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Amanda, I have a very important question for you, because the most annoying part about this entire plot in the books is that they're obviously doing a terrible job at trying to keep the districts in line. You know, in the first uh, movie, President Snow says, like, the secret is to give people a little bit of hope, like false hope. Okay, (laughs) so let me ask you, Amanda, what would you do instead of, you know, killing and beating people to keep these (laughs) districts in line? This is by far the least effective dystopian I've ever seen. (laughs) Because it's not even like in every dystopian book, movie, illustration I've ever seen. It's the trick is that there is this extreme authoritarian government, but they have lulled people into a sense of comfort. So they don't mind that they're our cameras everywhere recording everything they do that you're filtering everything you're saying and doing in order to like conform to what's going on. Panem and the Capitol, they love to be evil. If they, they could be so more evil, evil <laughs> they would be more evil all day. They, they, <laughs> there's literally a plot point where they have juice that they drink so they can puke up when they're full so they can eat more. That's the yeah. most evil like rich person thing I can think of. That's like <laughs> the most excessive thing while everyone else is starving, they're puking yeah. up so they can eat. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that like, I get like the, the parody on, you know, that's supposed to be a parody for something that was rumored to happen in Rome yeah. at the height of the Roman empire. Totally. So I totally get that. The problem with that is that like, the Roman Empire is like has like a nuanced history with all the people they conquered and some of the good things they did and some of the terrible things they did. Yes. Whereas like the history of Pan Am is just the capital are dicks and they're going to keep being evil. dicks forever. And, they and there's love, nothing you can do about it. They love shoving <laughs> it in their faces about how they're dicks. It's ridiculous. So to be honest, if I was President Snow and I wanted people to chill out a little bit, I would let them chill out a little bit. I would have like feast days. Okay. Where everybody gets like, you know, not the best capital food, but food. Food. To eat. Yeah. I would have like, I don't know, like cool entertainment, like come and visit the capitals so they could be like wowed by like, you know, like a circus or something like that. Like something cool that they don't get to see every day Mm -hmm. or like fireworks. You know, something that's not going to cost the capital a ton of money, but it's going to make people pretty happy. Yeah, they clearly can do something else, like (laughs) something. I would not march into people's homes, the little like shelter huts that they have, and um, empty their drawers into the street and then set them on fire for no reason. (laughs) 
that was a wild sequence yeah yeah mine is mine is something very similar because they talk about how the victory tour is supposed to happen six months after the hunger games to give people you know some sort of entertainment and a reminder that it's there the problem with this is it's boring it's so boring they go to all these cities no one likes them even in the capital capital no one's that interested in it okay i feel i feel like it was even more overt in the books or in the movies because even in in the books like at least they're like interacting a little bit more like the crowd is a little bit more energetic in the movies they're literally giving these terrible speeches to like a deadpan (laughs) audience that just wants to murder it was it was a fantastic montage it's pretty hilarious yeah yeah but like my idea is very similar to having an off season but Mm -hmm. fill it with something other than the hunger games okay i think they just need the like a football league i think it would be great I think if there was like a district led NFL season where yeah. 12 is a great number, they can divide it. They can have the Super Bowl at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Um, they can have a bunch of games and maybe the winner gets a bunch of food and the other teams just die. Great. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> they definitely need something to distract them from because how- right now it's the Hunger Games, which reminds you that the government that rules over you kills your children on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Mm-hmm. And then nothing. There's literally nothing else. Yeah. There's they burn down all the fun um, black markets that you guys set up. Uh, you're not even allowed to go play in the woods. Um, and that's it. You have to go down into the coal mines and then die. And yeah, that's all you have going there on. There's zero fun. They need to there's have zero like, fun. Like the 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 way you get away with it, Amanda. The way you get away with it <laughs> is having like enough fun to keep people distracted. And let yeah. me tell you, in quarantine life right now, I would do anything for a football game right now. I would do yeah, that'd be super fun. I would do literally anything to I watch know. some football. So yeah. I think that's exactly what these people need. They just need it's like extra football. Yeah, and maybe like they can dress up like their districts because they love doing that. PETA can have mm-hmm. a bread uniform. <laughs> It'd be great. They also like, and this is a, this is a little bit more ser- of a serious point. They don't have a bad guy besides the capital. Yeah. Like in every other super evil government, they're like, yeah, it should be like, yeah, District 4 freaking sucks. <laughs> Everybody from District 4 sucks. And they're the bad guys. And we can't wait to kill them in the Hunger Games because they suck. And yeah. everyone's like, yeah, screw District 4. There is no bad guy except for like President Snow himself. <laughs> and I think that's why football would be perfect. District yes. 1 are just the New England Patriots. I hate exactly. them. They exactly. suck. You need to have district on district rivalries. Amanda, yeah. why aren't we leading this dictatorship? <laughs> Seems like a lot of work. So Seems like we would have done, mm, but we would have done a way better job. <laughs> Obviously, we would have done a way better Obviously. Job. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So that will, on that fun and happy note, uh-huh. that will... <laughs> That'll wrap us up for today, and thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe so you can get automatically updated when new episodes come out wherever you get your podcast. We are still pretty new, so if you enjoy anything we talked about in the last hour, please leave us a review and tell your friends. And if you do, we will make David read it in a hilarious voice. No one has done it, which is great. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no one has uh, taken advantage of it. I want novel-length review to force David to read it. And if you suggest a, a voice also, I will also force him to do it in that voice. I'm really appreciative that no one else has like written a novel because right now I'm just going through like shorter reviews, which is great. <laughs> uh, but Amanda, what is the voice I'm doing? What is the voice you are doing? Um, I think you should do a voice. You should do President Snow announcing the people who will die in this year's quarter quill. That is quite the like <laughs> opposite tones. I have like an, a yeah. fun review nope. and you're like, I want you yep. to say it in the most serious Donald Sutherland voice you can think of. Gosh, I don't know if I can do Donald Sutherland. Okay. This is by um, Claude 212122. That's a lot. Big fan of. Big fan of twos there. Okay. Awesome. Exclamation point. I'm excited. 
What a great podcast exploring media via book adaptations. Fun brother and sister duo. That's it. That's that's the end of the review. So. That's the whole review? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that short and sweet review, and I hope we get a longer one next time to make David really go for it. Yeah, I feel like I had an Oscar performance there if I just had more to go more, on. More, more script to use, yeah. 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 Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at AdaptedPod on all those platforms. And you can send us suggestions on what we should talk about next by shooting us an email at stuff at AdaptedPod.com. And special thanks to Catlo for our intro and outro music. You will be listening to Astoria Ditmars, and you can listen to more Catloaf on Spotify. And you can tune in next time to hear us talk about the third Hunger Games book, Mockingjay, right? Mockingjay. Mockingjay. <laughs> uh, we will be talking about the book and the two movies that it took to <laughs> put that book to film. <laughs> I can't believe we're going to have to watch two movies for this. Dos movies, tons of notes, tons of thoughts. Tune in next time for the finale of our Hunger Games trilogy. Mm -hmm. Until next time, make sure to close your doors all the way if you're going to be viewing secret, <laughs> secret footage that no one else on the train should be watching. Just like, shut it. <laughs> Until next time, uh, make sure you get the cat right, otherwise people are going to be pissed. Yep. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Until then, try not to project your issues with your districts uh, collapsing on a little girl who won a game. Like, yeah, deal with your it's own problems. Now. Take care of take care of your own house. Take care of your own stuff. Stop projecting. <laughs> Grow up, Snow. Grow, Grow up, up Snow. Grow, Grow up, Snow. Grow a pair. Grow a pair. <laughs>